This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. In the 1940s, there were, as there are today, a lot of great art and design schools in New York City. Pratt, Cooper Union, Parsons. And there were then, as there are today, a lot of young, talented artists and designers at those schools who would go on to have great careers. But in the 1940s, there was something else that some of those artists and designers had to do first. That's our own Katie Mingle. There was a war going on, World War II, and the army needed artists because, well, they had kind of a crazy idea. And it was a crazy idea that came out of one of the most conservative organizations you can imagine, the United States Army. That's Rick Beyer. More about Rick in a minute. And it had to go up the line to high-ranking generals up as high as Eisenhower himself to get approval. The crazy idea was this. The United States Army would design a deception unit, a unit that would appear to the enemy to be a large armored division. Thousands of soldiers, tanks, trucks, guns. Only this unit would actually be equipped with fake tanks, fake trucks, fake guns, and manned by just a handful of soldiers. And it really is something unusual. Rick Beyer has a forthcoming book about all of this and also made a film about it called The Ghost Army. People say to me, well, did the Germans have something like this? Did the Japanese have something like this? And what I've said is the Germans and Japanese did deceptions, but I haven't found anybody ever who had a unit quite like this one. Today, that Allied troops began landing on the northern coast of France this morning, strongly supported by naval and air forces. D Day, June 6, 1944, marked the start of the most critical period of World War II. The Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy and began to liberate France from the Germans who had occupied it for four years at that point. They were ultimately marching toward Berlin. And the success of the Normandy landings on D Day was due in part to deception. Using a variety of techniques, the Allies tricked the Germans into thinking the invasion would happen at a different time and place. But a couple of U.S. Army men, Ralph Ingersoll and Billy Harris, wanted to take deception to a whole new level. They wanted to create a mobile deception unit. And we're going to put that on the battlefield and give that to the generals to use for whatever set of circumstances come up. So what were the circumstances in which a unit like this would be needed? Well. Let's say American forces are guarding a border, but there's a hole in one spot. And if the Germans realize there's an unguarded spot, they could use it to break the line. But the Americans don't have any troops to fill that hole. Sometimes they can't send the real troops because the real troops are needed someplace else, and sometimes they can't send them because they just don't have enough or they can't get them there in time. That's where the ghost army came in. This top-secret unit was officially called the 23rd Headquarters Special Troops and nicknamed the Ghost Army after the war. The so-called Ghost Army would impersonate a larger armored division. Might be the 6th Armored Division or some other one. It changed. But a division that was made up of, say, 15 or 20,000 soldiers, when they, the Ghost Army, were actually only about 1,000 men. Uh, You want to make it seem like something is there that isn't there. And if you want people to do that, you're going to want artists. The Army was interested in recruiting people with art, with an art background. We were going to do installations of sorts. That's Jack Macy. 
I'm Jack Macy. During World War II, I served in the Ghost Army. Before the Army, Jack was just a kid in high school, a pretty famous high school in New York City called the High School of Music and Art. It's now called LaGuardia High School. I was an art major. So young Jack is shipped off to Europe to join the camouflage unit, where he discovers that a lot of the other guys in his unit are also artists. A good 50%, we'll say. And one of the things all of those artists had been working on was designing fake tanks and trucks. By the time Jack got to Europe, they'd done all their R&D and decided rubber was the best material to use. And so that's when I discovered my first inflatable tank. Inflatable rubber tanks were a crucial part of the visual deception unit. You could inflate one to see something rise like a souffle in, <laughs> in, in about a half hour from nothing to a full tank was rather quite interesting, okay? But the visual deception unit had more than just tanks. It's tanks and trucks and artillery and jeeps and all sorts of vehicles, virtually every kind of vehicle the Army has, the Ghost Army had inflatable versions of. Basically anything to make themselves appear to be the full-sized armored division that they were pretending to be. This stuff was all meant to be believable from a distance for planes flying overhead or maybe people looking through binoculars. And at a distance, the inflatables were super realistic, but you had to be careful about certain details. Sometimes, the barrels, you know, of the tanks were not that inflated and they sagged. Well, of course, that was a mess. Flaccid gun barrels, never a good thing. But there were other details to consider. A real tank weighs 40 tons. And when it drives across a field, it leaves a set of tank tracks that are really obvious to aerial reconnaissance. So the deception unit would actually use a bulldozer to make fake tracks around the fake tanks. But there was one cardinal rule, Jack says, about working with inflatables. Never under any circumstances will you ever to carry an inflatable across the road. Obviously, two dudes carrying a 40-ton tank would look wrong. You weren't supposed to casually pick up and move an inflatable vehicle in a place where you could be seen. When the artist soldiers weren't busy with their dummy tanks, Jack says they did what artists do. Spent their time sketching local people, local architecture, churches, all through Normandy, across France, and into Germany. During their travels through Europe, when they weren't sketching local architecture, the ghost army was often acting. And they call it special effects, and I call it play acting, because that's really what it was. And the idea was for us to go into town and sit down at a cafe so that anybody watching us... Remember, the Germans had occupied France for four years at this point. So, yeah, there were spies everywhere. We wanted them to think that not only did we have actual tanks, which of course we didn't, <laughs> but that we actually were members of the 2nd Armored Division, which in fact we weren't. They stenciled fake unit numbers on their trucks. They made fake patches to put on their sleeves. Sometimes they seem to be having a little too much fun with this part of the job, like the time they stole a bunch of cases of expensive cognac from a tavern just to piss off the tavern owner, whom they knew to be a German collaborator. 
they're hoping that he is then going to be so angry at them that he's going to go to the Germans and tell them, well, not only do I know that the 6th Armored Division is here, but their general was at my tavern today. The whole point of the Ghost Army was to make sure their presence was known. The Ghost Army needed to be seen and heard and perceived by the Germans as being real. On turntable one goes a recording of trucks moving in. Which brings us to the deception unit that I probably would have been drafted into, sonic deception. So they would record the sounds of tanks going down roads or the sounds of trucks of men reaching a certain point and all the men jumping out and then be able to play them back in such a way as to make the enemy think that those things are really happening. This was all so new and strange that the army made a top secret film which explained how sound could be used to deceive the enemy. In it, actors badly portray a group of German officers who are in the midst of being punked by the sonic deception unit. Did you say tanks? What's all this nonsense about tanks? Our OP here reports definite sounds of tanks moving into assembly about there. The movie goes on to explain that the Germans in that scene were fooled. A sonic company had convinced them that an armored division under cover of darkness had moved along the river across from them. The enemy committed his tank destroyers and reserves to this bridgehead up here. They moved into position and waited. And they waited. And we crossed down here where they weren't. The film goes into great detail about the process of recording and playing back sounds. The best loudspeakers for the military requirements have been developed. The speakers could project sound as far as 15 miles, and there was a huge library of sounds to choose from. For example, Engines make different sounds depending on the terrain, and they had all of those different kinds of sounds. At the little hill, this one projected the sound of tanks going up. This one projected tanks going down. They would look at what they're trying to simulate. What are we trying to make people think is happening? And then they would take all the appropriate sounds and mix them together to create a sonic story. People who heard this say that it was unbelievably eerie, that it was so realistic that you you started seeing vehicles that weren't there. The third component of the Ghost Army were the radio operators. It was well known that the Germans listened in on radio communications of Allied troops. So if the Ghost Army was trying to impersonate a real armored division, they'd have to send the right kinds of transmissions. They bring in trained radio operators from all sorts of other units to have the very best operators to be part of the radio deception unit. All of the units paid incredible attention to detail. But the radio operators had to be perfect mimics. They had to learn the exact keystrokes of an individual Morse code operator in the unit they were impersonating. The way a radio operator in the 4th Armored Division always starts his messages with four dots, you know, da-da-da-da, because that's just what they do. And if you don't do that, the German intercept person listening is going to think, well, wait a minute, is that really from the 4th Armored Division? So you have three different units, visual, sonic, and radio, and they're operating separately, but they're all organized by the same people. So they're very carefully working on different components of the same plan. 
The three separate units might only be vaguely aware of what one another were up to, and everything was kept completely secret from the rest of the military. If the fact of their mere existence ever leaked to the Germans, the whole deception, as well as the safety of the ghost army, could be compromised. The ghost army carried out 21 different deception missions between June 1944 and March 1945, pretty much the entire time the U.S. Army was operating in Europe. Rick says one of their most important missions was Operation Bedenberg, which took place near the border between France and Germany. So picture this. There's a river near the German border, the Moselle River, and German troops are on one side and American troops are on the other. They're part of a front that's hundreds of miles long. And then General George Patton realizes that there's a 75-mile gap in his line an unguarded 75 miles that the Germans could use to break across the border if they knew about it. So they bring in the ghost army. So they, they arrive in uh, about middle of the night. It's in September 44. And they're using all three units, the visual unit with the inflatable tanks, the radio guys, but especially the sonic deception unit. Because most of the Germans are on the other side of the Moselle River. They're within earshot, in other words. And so it's a great opportunity to use sound to build it up and make it seem like so many tanks are moving in and so many troops are moving in. The deception goes on for seven days. Seven days is a long time to fool anybody. The Ghost Army soldiers are getting nervous. They've never done a deception for this long before. And even General Patton is nervous. He wrote a letter to his wife, and he says, One bad spot in my line, but I don't think the Huns know about it yet. We're holding on to it by the grace of God. We'll have it plugged by tomorrow. And the next day, the 83rd Division moves in and takes over for the Ghost Army. And the Germans never caught on to the Ghost Army during that operation or any other. Over the course of the war, the Ghost Army lost three soldiers and had several dozen wounded. But overall, it was one of the safer assignments of World War II. Being in the camouflage unit, I always felt I was kind of lucky. That's Jack Macy again. The camouflage unit was just another name for the visual deception unit. Because I had friends you know, who were in the infantry. Several were killed. Several were wounded. But being assigned to the camouflage corps kept me away from the front lines. It's true that the Ghost Army suffered far fewer casualties than other units, but that's partly because they were really good at their jobs. If their deception was ever uncovered by the Germans, it would be catastrophic for the men in the Ghost Army. They're operating without any heavy weapons. They don't have any real tanks. They don't have any real artillery. So they're kind of putting on this show of force in a very vulnerable place. Still, Jack remembers the army extremely fondly. He got to see Paris. To see Paris, the great cafes and the bistros was a completely fabulous experience for me. After Jack Macy left the Ghost Army, he went to Yale. School of Art and Architecture, GI Bill of Rights, thank God. After Yale, he went on to design some amazing things. He designed the kitchen used in the American National Exhibition in Moscow in 1959, where the famous debate between Nixon and Khrushchev took place. He worked with Buckminster Fuller on a geodesic dome for the 1967 World Expo in Montreal. 
And Jack Macy wasn't the only artist in the Ghost Army to have a great career. Remember all those artists that were constantly sketching around Europe? Well, some of them became pretty famous after the war. Uh, Ellsworth Kelly, the minimalist painter and sculptor, was in this unit. Arthur Singer, a wildlife artist who illustrated Birds of North America and many other books. Bill Blass, the fashion designer. Jack Macy and Bill Blass were good friends in the Army. And Jack likes to say that Bill Blass was the only soldier that read Vogue in his foxhole. Not only read Vogue in his foxhole, but he made sketches, fashion sketches, wherever he went. He was forever working away, getting ready for the great moment when he would leave the Army. The government officially kept the Ghost Army a secret until the 1980s because they were hoping to be able to use some of the deception tactics in future conflicts. Some units were told not to talk about their experience ever to anyone. But apparently not everyone got the same directives on this. I was in Company B, and we were never told that we were not supposed to talk about it. So I was blabbing about the Ghost Army the second I left it. And everybody, I had everybody reduced to gigantic laughs and amusement. I mean, the idea of a fake unit, you know, is a pretty amusing thing. It is amusing, but beyond amusing, it's strange and amazing that they tried this and that they actually pulled it off. Not every operation was, you know, successful, but there's a number of operations where it's really clear that the Germans believed what they were trying to sell them and that it had an effect on the war. So it did help to save lives. It did help to win the war. In the story of the Trojan horse, after a grueling 10-year war, the Greeks pretend to give up and sail away, leaving behind a giant wooden horse, which the Trojans drag back into their city as a victory trophy. At night, an elite force of Greek fighters, which has been hiding inside the horse, creeps out and is able to capture the city of Troy. Victory by deception. That deception wouldn't have worked very well in World War II, and the Ghost Army's techniques probably wouldn't be very useful in today's conflicts. For obvious reasons, Rick couldn't get the army to tell him what kinds of deceptions they're doing these days. But you can be sure they're doing something, because, well, here, I'll, I'll let this guy say it. Deception of the enemy is, of course, as old as war itself. Invisible was produced this week by Katie Mingle with Sam Greenspan, Avery Truffleman, and me, Roman Mars. Special thanks to Jim Mingle, yes, that's Katie's dad, for his help editing and fact-checking this week. Rick Beyer and co-author Elizabeth Sale's forthcoming book is called The Ghost Army of World War II. It's full of amazing images and so many more details about specific operations performed by the Ghost Army. It'll be out on April 28th. We are a project of 91.7 KALW San Francisco and produced out of the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. 
Support for 99% Invisible comes from the beautiful nerds who, when they first heard the term Ghost Army, thought we were talking about the last movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and from Harry's.com. Harry's.com was started by two guys who wanted better shaving products without waiting for that dude at the drugstore to get the key to pull the razors off the display rack. Do you know why they locked razors up like that at the store? It's inventory control. Because normal razors are stupid expensive. But Harry's are not expensive. And they're better because they bought their own razor factory. Go to harrys.com, that's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com, and Harry's will give you $5 off if you type in our coupon code, that's 99PI, with your first purchase. Support also comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website. Squarespace is simple, powerful, and beautiful. They have 24-7 support via live chat and email. All Squarespace-created sites have responsive design, so your website scales and looks great on every device every time. And every website comes with a free online store if you want it. For a free trial with no credit card required and to start building your website today, Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code INVISIBLE to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. And as always, we are supported by Tiny Letter. Email for people with something to say. My boy Carver always has something to say. What do you guys say, Carver? The ghost army is cool, but you know what would be cooler? If they were actually ghosts. Then the name would actually make sense. Tinyletter.com. It's free, easy, minimal, and powerful. The simplest way to send an email newsletter from the great people behind MailChimp. Thanks to you, MailChimp, and the Knight Foundation, we formed Radiotopia from PRX this week on Radio Diaries. Before Google provided their employees with buses and cereal and free laundry services, shoemaker George F. Johnson gave his employees free medical care, parks, libraries, and carousel rides. Everything evolved around this George F. Johnson man. Everything was George F., George F., George F. I'm wondering, who in the world is this man? Who is he? George F. Johnson's square deal and the cost of relying on a company to provide everything. That's on the latest Radio Diaries. To subscribe to Radio Diaries and all the shows in Radiotopia, go to radiotopia.fm. You can find the show and like the show on Facebook. We're all on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Spotify. But the ghost army is haunting the pages of 99% Invisible at 99pi.org. Radiotopia.